Well, as Dave mentioned in his uh, communion meditation, Christmas is finally over. Um, We actually had our third Christmas just Friday night because of kids living out of town. So it's all finally done and finished and probably a lot of us are ready to move on. And at the same time, when you think back at Christmas and all that it's about and all that happens and all that's wonderful and and really nice about it, um, I think we all look at Christmas with some fondness. As you consider, I want to ask you something. If you consider Christmas and sort of look at the whole thing of Christmas, um, if I ask you to summarize it and maybe use one verse of Scripture that would sort of capture everything about just the big picture of Christmas, um, what Scripture would you think of? This is a real question. I know most questions from preachers are rhetorical. Uh, this one, anybody? Right answer. I didn't know if I'd get to it quickly or at all. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His Son. And there's other verses that we could pick, but that one for me captures what Christmas is and what it's about. And and sort of in a sense of why it happens. It's a wonderful verse. It's a verse that talks to us about how special we are to God, how much He loves us, and, and what He would do for us. The, the extent, the extreme that he would go to to give us that gift, to love us. But I, I may surprise you because I want to give you a warning about this verse. Before you get too excited about it and fall in, the, in love with this verse too much, I want you to be careful because it's actually a very dangerous verse. And when we think a little bit more about it today, you might realize maybe I don't love that verse so much. But before I explain what I'm talking about, I want us to look at one other verse. Because it fits in the same category. And that other verse is Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Again, this is a wonderful verse. In so many different ways, it says great things to us. It says that, gosh, God's working in me. I'm his work project. He's he's building me. He's creating me. He's putting the pieces together to form something wonderful. And I'm not even expected to do that on my own. He says, I want to work in your life. I want to help you become, to use our jargon today. Oh, that's a pretty cool concept. And not only does he want to work in my life and help me be be built up, he's got some good things for me to do. He actually has some things, the God of the universe has some things for me to do. Well, that's pretty cool. I I get to maybe help around here, maybe uh, help with the children or work with the youth, or or be on the prayer chain, or help paint a room, or go on a mission trip, or who knows what it'll be, but I get to do some cool stuff around here. 
And that's pretty good too. But as I said, this is just like John 3.16. This is a verse that might surprise you. Because it really can be a dangerous verse. An upsetting verse. And to explain why I'm saying that about those two verses, I want us to consider a man who lived in the Old Testament. A man named Jonah. He lived in Israel between 750 and 800 B.C. He was one of God's chosen people. He was one of the good guys. I'm sure if we had Jonah here to interview today, he would tell you he thought God was great. Because Jonah was part of Israel and enjoying God's blessing. Out of all the nations of the earth, Jonah had been born into Israel. And so he was enjoying all of the blessings of God. I think had we read John 3.16 or Ephesians 2.10 to Jonah, he would have said, hey, those are great verses. I agree with them. I think he would have been right on board with those verses. We even know that Jonah was a prophet for God. God had picked him as his spokesperson. He spoke for God. 2 Kings 14 tells us that. I'm sure Jonah felt honored to be used by God. I'm sure he was committed, happy to be used by God, to speak to God's people. And then one day, this God that Jonah thought he knew, this God that Jonah thought he loved, this God that he thought he loved doing good stuff for God, just like Ephesians 2.10, one day, this God turned Jonah's world upside down. Because he came to Jonah and he says, Jonah, I got some new orders for you. I have a new project for you to do for me. It's recorded for us in the first two, chapter, uh, first two verses of Jonah 1. And I just realized I didn't put the page number up there. Sorry. Let me read it. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now that's only two verses, but I want you to understand that when Jonah went to God and he said, Jonah, I got something else for you to do. I think, first of all, Jonah was like, oh, cool, I get to say something else to Israel. I get to be God's spokesperson again. And I think Jonah was all gung-ho for that. And then God told him what he wanted him to do. And in that two verses, God turned his world upside down. Well, wait a minute. This isn't so cool anymore. The God he thought he knew, the God who he thought was safe and not dangerous and predictable and worked in all these ordinary ways that Jonah totally agreed with, that God, well, he showed Jonah that he was, what I would say, a wild God. He sent him to Nineveh. I put this map up here to let you grasp what he was saying to, to Jonah. The yellow is the kingdom of Assyria, or green. Um, and Nineveh is up there in the upper right. It was the number one superpower of Jonah's day. It was 
the United States, the, the Soviet Union, whatever you picture as this superpower that controls most of the known world. And Nineveh was its capital. It was the center of Jonah's world. But it was also the capital of Israel's enemy. Assyria was not Israel's ally. This wasn't being sent to London or some other pleasant place that it was like, oh, this is good duty on an expense account. This is really great. This was being sent to Afghanistan, Iraq, Yemen, Somalia, whatever we see in our world today as the last place on earth we would want God to send us. Whatever you would picture in your world, in your values, that's what it was for Jonah. They were Israel's arch enemy. They had conquered Israel. They would do it again. And they were pagans. They believed in the god Asher and a variety of other deities. They were known, they were infamous as a brutal people. And what they would do to the people they conquered. And then God says, Jonah, that's where I want you to go preach. I have a new assignment for you. I have a new church I'd like you to take. A new plant, a new mission work. And it's at the heart of Nineveh. And in that assignment, God showed Jonah that what I would call him to be, our God is a wild God. He's not just warm and fuzzy. I think a lot of us, especially coming out of the Christmas season, if I said close your eyes and picture God, we would picture him seated on a throne high and lifted up in a very quiet, stately manner. Probably both his arms on the arms of his throne, just looking out over the sea of glass, totally at peace, inactive, receiving praise. And I think we would be dead wrong. Our God will shock us because there are times when he shows that wild and crazy side. Now can we go back to those two verses I began with? You see, what God meant when he said, John 3.16 is, I love the world, the entire world. I love all of them. Not just me, not just my neighborhood, my family, my friends, my culture, those people I'm comfortable with, the cities I'd like to be assigned to. No, God says, I love all the world. And what Jonah learned is that that means God loves people I don't love. The Ninevites. People who are wicked. People have value systems that are wrong. People who do things that just are, are, are repulsive to me. They're included in God's world and he loves them. And it's interesting, God is very honest with Jonah. He says, Jonah, Jonah I know this is a wicked place. In fact, God says, it is so wicked, it's caught my attention. Now, that's pretty wicked. You know, if even God has to stop and say, whoa, that's really bad. But that doesn't cause God to say, therefore, we're going to write him off. 
that causes God to say, Jonah, I need you to go there because they're still a part of the world that I love. They're still a part of John 3.16. And that's a statement for us. Because I think like Jonah, we have our places we're comfortable with, our people we're comfortable with, and we have our people that we just soon avoid. Our places, our, our, our countries, our politics, our whatever you want to talk about, our groups that we say we're not so sure they give into our love category. But they're in God's love category. When he said John 3.16, he wasn't kidding. He meant the entire world. And as Jonah learned, God wants us to love them too. Because he says to Jonah, I need you to go there for me as my prophet and preach for me. That's where God really stretches us. Because I think up through John 3.16, we can sort of, okay, we'll live with this. God, if you want to love those people, okay, have at it. I think they're beyond help. I think they're, the world would be better off without them. But if you really want to love them, okay, I'm going to stay over here with my people, and I'm going to be happy, and then you go love them. You're God. And then God comes after us. And just like he says to Jonah, he says to us, yeah, I got some good work for you to do for me. And that good work includes them. And that's what stretches us. I, I think we're all in the same boat. As long as that good work is in the children's department here, as long as that good work is painting a, 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 a new classroom here, or putting on a potluck dinner here, or even cleaning the toilets here, we're pretty good with that. And then God says, just like he did to Jonah, you know, some of the good work I have for you to do, it's going to involve those people that I love that you're not so sure about. And that's what turned Jonah's world upside down. And I think it's what challenges us. Because in many ways, we're a lot like Jonah. And that's why we're going to take the next six weeks and look at the book of Jonah. I had somebody say, how are you getting six sermons out of the book of Jonah? There's only four chapters. Come on. Well, you just got to come along for the ride. I will do my best to not bore you. You see, I think we are a lot like Jonah, and I think we need to learn some of the lessons that Jonah had to learn. We're, we love God, and we're glad God loves us. And we're happy to be part of God's people. And we're delighted to even help God out a little bit when it's in here with the rest of God's people. And God said, I need to turn that upside down and teach you some things, Jonah. I need to teach you some things about my heart. And I need to teach you some things about John 3.16 and what it means to love the whole world. And I need to show you some of the good works that I have for you to do. 
because that's how God is. Jonah is a, the book of Jonah is a phenomenal x-ray into the heart of God. And that's what I want us to capture in these six weeks. So that it is crystal clear for us where God is coming from. And his heart for even cities like Nineveh. So bad, they're on God's headlines. But he says, that's exactly where I need you to go, Jonah. How can God do that? How can God care that much? Well, I need to tell you a story. Now, this isn't a bad church when we talk about Cabela's, right, guys? Huh? Huh? Forget the mega mall. We're just going to Cabela's. This is a true story. It happened a couple weeks ago, and I did get permission because it involves some of my family. Peggy and I are at Cabela's, and we have with us some of our grandkids and some of our kids. And we're heading to one side. Is anybody, I don't want to embarrass anybody, if you haven't been to Cabela's, it is an enormous store. I would think as big as Costco or any of the big boxes. It's huge. And so we're heading in one direction. We have with us our, two of our grandkids, and we think we're all on the same page. And we continue walking for a little while, and we get to where we're headed on one side of the store, the side to the right, and um, there's no more grandkids there. I, may I emphasize again, big store. Uh, displays higher than head height. And we start looking in the near area, still no grandkids. We start talking a little louder. We aren't screaming, but we're trying to call some kids' names. No grandkids. At that point, you know, whatever I came to look for, it didn't matter. And I was looking at new guns. <laughs> and it didn't matter. And Peggy and I quickly made contact. We developed a plan. You head this way, I'll head this way. And we are walking as fast as we can through that store. We still can't find them. So then we head up to the railing upstairs so we can both check up there, but we can also look over the store. And we can't find them. And you know, in that moment, nothing else mattered. What we came for didn't matter. What the weather outside was didn't matter. What Peggy and I had done before we got there or after we got there, whether we were going to have a cup of coffee, none of that mattered except finding those grandkids. And you know what else didn't matter? That they had done wrong. That they hadn't told grandma and grandpa they were heading in a different direction. Nothing they had done wrong mattered. We weren't sitting thinking about that. We just didn't have them. And nothing else mattered. May I add one more detail? Not detail. Had you been with me as a friend 
Do you know what I would have expected you to do? Help me find them. And had you said, Jim, I got a couple things on my list here I got need to look at first. <laughs> I would have been deeply offended. Because my grandkids were lost. And in my perspective, that's really all that was important. Till they were found. Now we obviously found them. And we worked it through. We sorted it out. But in that moment. And you see, that's what God was trying to teach Jonah. Who cares about them in Nineveh? Jonah may not have, but God does. Because there is kids created in his image. Sure, they do wrong. Sure, they're so wicked, they're on the front page of God's news. They're still his kids. They're still created in his image. And what he needed to have Jonah do was help me find them. God cares. And he calls us to care too. And that's what we're going to look at in the next six weeks. Let's pray. Father, your love is so wonderful when we think about it for us. We love to sing about it. We love to share in a baptism where somebody accepts your love. We take communion and are reminded with that bread and that juice of how much you love us. But you never forget your other children who aren't here, even if we do. You never stop loving them, even if we do. We need to learn those lessons from Jonah. You care. You care deeply for your lost children. And you ask us to help. May you do life-changing work in us in this six weeks. I'm praying that we are never the same in how we view the lost children you're trying to find. I ask this in the name of your son who died for them as much as for us. Amen.